because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, open your Bible to 3 John. 3 John, we'll do a short meditation here. We have talked about 3 John in the past, though it's been over a year, and I thought this was fitting. I, I wanted to preach on something that would encourage us and challenge us, and at the same time, sort of focus, or at least give attention to the fact that our brother Brandon is leaving. Um, he's been part of our church family here for as long as I've been here, though not officially a member until January, but what's that, 17 months or so he's been here at the church. He faithfully took over David's place as David had to, David Apgar, who couldn't do the sound and, and be here. And so he's just been a, a dear brother to, to us all. And I wanted to think about challenging the church in light of, of this. So Third John is where we're at. Let me read the whole, the whole book, which is only 14 verses, and then we will meditate on it. Here's in the word of God from Third John. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, I love you in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. For I was very glad when some brothers came and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than, than this, to hear my children walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love in front of the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be co-workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive us. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also testify for him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So like I said, our brother Brandon is leaving and is being sent out from here to the Virginia area. And I want us to think biblically about what it means to have church family that is sent out. And not just church family, but really anyone who's sent out. And so I want us to focus here on this passage. In verses 1 through 4, you have the main idea, and then you have two ways that this main idea is carried out. Okay, So let's focus on the main idea first, or the main, the main theme, the main burden of John, and then unpack how you live out this main burden. So if you go back again to verse 1, to my dear friend Gaius, I love you in the what? In the truth. He says, I pray that you may prosper in every way. That's a good thing to pray for a friend. You want them to prosper in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. So you can pray for physical health, but not just physical health, also what? Spiritual health. 
And then he's going to define what it means to be spiritually healthy. Verse 3, For I was very glad when some brothers came and testified of your faithfulness to the truth. So here is a brother, Gaius, who is faithful to the truth. He's not deviating from the truth. He's not compromising the truth. He is living according to the truth. And then he says, you are faithful to the truth, how you are walking in what? Walking in the truth. And then, if you don't get the emphasis by now, he says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear my children are walking in what? In the truth. It's all about the truth, right? The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. He loves him in the truth. He sees his faithfulness to the truth. He sees him walking in the truth. His greatest joy is to hear that his children, his brothers and sisters in Christ, are walking in the truth. That's what it means to be spiritually healthy. Not to just know the truth, but to walk in the truth. To have a lifestyle that is shaped and controlled and formed by the truth. And so the main idea here that John would have for, for Gaius is keep walking in the truth. Right? Keep walking in the truth. And we know that you know from John 17, 17, same author of this letter, John, he says, he's pray, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And so the truth that we are to walk in is the word of God. Which means you need to know the Bible at least enough to walk in it. Now, you can know a lot of it and not walk in it. But if you're going to walk in it, you need to know what you're walking in. Right? And so, knowledge is dangerous because knowledge, well, love builds up, but knowledge does what? Puffs up, right? Knowledge puffs up in pride, but love builds up. And if you don't apply what you know, if you don't walk in the truth, but just learn and know the truth, it will inevitably, without fail, puff you up. So knowledge of the truth is a dangerous thing to play with. And yet it is not optional. You have to know it. You have to grow in it. But you have to understand that as you grow in it, the temptation to, do, to, to grow in knowing without walking is dangerous. It's detrimental. It could be damning. And so here, John's greatest joy is not that people know the word. It's that they walk in the word. Not that they just know the truth, but that they walk... In the truth, and that is our greatest joy as well. And that's what we want to do. We want to walk in the truth as a church family, right? We want. We're glad that Brandon walks in the truth. We want him to continue to walk in the truth. And so, how do we walk in the truth? How do you live a genuine Christian life? Now, if I had to go back to First John, I'm not going to have you turn there now. But John, in the first letter that he wrote, First uh, John, he gives three tests to find out whether you're a true Christian. Okay. A doctrinal test, a moral test. So it's a doctrinal test. The doctrinal test is the truth, doctrinal truth. Jesus is God and Jesus is man. When John was writing 1 John, people weren't believing that Jesus was really human. He looked like a human, but a human can't die on a cross. And so the Messiah spirit might have kind of went on top of Jesus. And then right before Jesus got crucified, the Messiah spirit left or the divine spirit left. The Christ left and just the man was killed. So the Christ is not human. That's a doctrinal error. That's a significant doctrinal error. If you don't believe Jesus is fully man, you lose the gospel. If you don't believe Jesus is fully God, you lose the gospel. 
And so if you don't believe in doctrinal truth of the gospel, you're not a Christian. If you deny doctrinal truth about the gospel, you're not a Christian. So doctrinal truth is one way of knowing you're a Christian. Walking in the truth, you need to know it. But not only doctrinally, but morally. John talks about over and over in 1 John that those who are, who, those who are in Christ keep his commands. And that's what you would think when you read verses 1 through 4, right? Keep the commands of the Bible. When God tells you to do something, do it. Trust him and do it. That's what it means to walk in the truth. That's the, that's the, the moral test of true Christianity. But in 3 John, neither of those is what he means by walking in the truth. Now, in general, he means that, but he's going to get very specific. There's a third test in 1 John, which is his focus in 3 John. And that is not the doctrinal test. It's not the moral test. It's the, does anyone know? The social test. That's okay if you didn't know. The social test. Love the brothers. It's the congregational test. It's the test of do you love fellow Christians or not? And so from verses 5 to 12, he's saying if you're going to walk in the truth, you walk in the truth by loving the brothers. You walk in the truth by doing the social test, by passing the social test of truth, which is loving the brothers. Now, what does that mean? There's two ways, okay, two ways that you're going to walk in the truth. In verses 5 through 8, you walk in the truth by partnering with gospelizers. Partnering with evangelists, if you like. Partnering with gospelizers. And then, point two, you walk in the truth, verses 9 through 12, by avoiding self-exaltation. If you're exalting yourself, how can you love others? You're going to use others to exalt who? Yourself, right? So, you can't love them, you can only use them. So, the way you walk in the truth of loving the brothers is by not exalting yourself. And that's the second way. The first way is by partnering with evangelists or gospelizers. Let's go with that first one first. Partnering with gospelizers. Look at verse 5. How do you partner with gospelizers? Dear friend, Gaius, you are showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers. So he's doing things for who? For the brothers. He's for fellow Christians. He's for fellow gospel people, evangelists, gospelizers. Especially, you do things for these brothers, especially when they are what? Strangers. Strangers. You know what we call that? Hospitality. Doing things for people you barely know, but you do it for them because they are brothers or sisters in Christ. You don't have all these tests, let me get to know you for 10 months, then I might trust you and actually do something for you. No, Gaius had a big gospel heart that would do things sacrificially, not just in word, but also in deed, for the brothers, even though he barely knew them. They were practically strangers to him. What does this mean, though? Look at verse 6. They have testified to your love in front of the church. So Gaius is such a loving and sacrificial brother that everyone knows it. You just talk about the brother Gaius, and oh yeah, he loves the the brothers. So they testify in front of the church. It's that obvious His love is demonstrable. It's not just in intentions. It's actually also in actions. Good intentions, good actions. But going on in verse 6, you will do well to send them on their journey. He's talking to Gaius. So Gaius, they have a good testimony about you. You're clearly loving others. But, But Gaius, I still have something for you. There's something that you'll do that will be well for you. You will do well to send them. Who's the them on their journey? 
Who's the them? The From verse 5, the what? The brothers. Who are what? Christians, and they're also strangers. You do well, Gaius. You do well for a Southern Baptist church. You do well, Christian, when you meet a fellow Christian and you send them on their way. Look at verse 6. That's what he say. You will send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Why? Why, 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 why do you do well when you do this? Since they set out, why do they set out on their journey? For what? For the sake of the name. Who's that? Christ. Christ. They set out for the sake of Christ, accepting nothing from the pagans. So this is what it means to partner with fellow Christians. When you see them and you meet them, you bless them. You encourage them. You, you do something for their good. And then when they leave, what do you do? You send them on their way. Because why do they go out? For the sake of what? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of Christ. For the sake of the name. Now, don't be fooled by what others have said tonight. Brandon is going to Virginia for the sake of the name. He's going there for the sake of Christ. We're saying, no, he's actually going there because he got a job. No, that's not the main reason why he's going there. God gave him that job, but God is moving him there to gospelize over there. That's the main reason we do anything in our lives. Where you choose to live, where you choose to work, where you choose to send your, your kids to college or to, to school, whatever you do, go therefore and what? Make what? Disciples of all nations. That's your main command. That's why you do everything you do. Everything in your life should be doing it for the sake of the name. And that's the main reason you do what you do. And all the details are literally details under the main thing. Or if you want to use 1 Corinthians 10.31, you just got to push all the way to 11.1. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, do what? Do all for the glory of God. Then he goes on to say, I don't want to offend the Jews or the Greeks or even the weak. I do all things to all that I might by some means save some. That's in 1 Corinthians 9. And then he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why does Paul do everything to eat? Why does he do eating and drinking? So he doesn't offend people by eating food offered to idols. Why? So that he might not offend them. Why? For their salvation. So what does it mean to glorify God? It means you do everything for the final salvation of the many, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. That's what it means. In other words, your main goal in life is the Great Commission, to make disciples. Your main goal in life, your main task, is to set out for the sake of the name. Your main task in life is to glorify God by doing everything, even the meals you choose to eat. You do that for the sake of the final salvation of the many. Whether they're non-Christians who are going to hear the gospel and convert, or they're already confessing or professing Christians who are going to continue to endure, and they're weak. Either way, your main goal in life is to set out for the sake of the name. So, Brandon's question to me, and our conversation, and conversations with others, was not, should I take the job? The main question was, do you think God would have me take the job? And that's the right question to ask as a, as a Christian, Right? It's not whether it's a good fit just because it's a job. Do you think God is sending me for the sake of Christ's name to go there? And apparently, I mean, one thing I told Brandon, and it's not a sin either way, and you're free to choose, and I gave him pros and cons. And the point here is that when, when brothers or sisters set out for the sake of the name, they're going for the gospel's sake. And so what should we do? Send them on their what? 
on their way. Send them on their way. Do you know that? Well, look at verse 8. Therefore, what should we do? We ought to what? Verse 8. We ought to do what? Support such men so that we can be what? Co-workers, fellow workers with the what? With the truth. Isn't that what it's all about? It's all about spreading the gospel. And when you send a missionary out, Annie Armstrong, we send a missionary from our church, or we send a member out to another church in another area, and we support them, we become what with them? Co-workers. So if Brandon goes to Virginia and shares the gospel with people, who has a share in that work? We do. You support him and send him on his way, you have a share in that work. I have a share in that work. And when we don't, we don't have a share in that work. And we don't become co-workers with the truth. And notice I said partner with gospelizers. I could have said partner with evangelists. It's the same word. But if I say partner with evangelists, who pops into your mind? Evangelists. Anyone? Billy Graham, Graham, right? And you're saying, Brandon ain't no Billy Graham, and no one here is a Billy Graham. And that's true. None of us are Billy Graham. But you know what? The Bible's word is gospelizer. And when you think of evangelists, you think of a full-time professional evangelist. No. Every Christian is an evangelist. Every Christian has the gospel. Every Christian is a gospel person. And every Christian is a gospelizer. That's their task. And so if that's true then we partner together with all Christians. That doesn't mean you give money to all Christians, but maybe if they need it, and they're, out for, they're going out for the sake of the name, that's something to invest in. And so, that's the first point, okay? Partner with gospelizers. They're strangers, but you love them anyways. It's a demonstrable love. You're sending them on their way, and you're supporting them, and in your support, you become a co-worker with them. And I just want to challenge you very specifically here. I think, I'm exhorting you, I think as we send Brandon off even tonight, we should pray for him. We did pray for him. We will continue to pray for him. But I'd even encourage you to send him off with an encouraging note, even with financial help if you can. You know, just bless him. Anything would help. He's going on a long road trip. I'd encourage you to to invest in that as a way of saying, hey, we're, we're investing in you as a brother who's taking the gospel and you're going to take it to Virginia. And this is not going to be much, but it's a little something to show that we love you and we support you. And um, we, have a, we have a share in your ministry. And when we get to heaven or the new earth and celebrate the ripple effect of Brandon's life there, we will see the fruit of our investment. Okay? So partner with gospelizers. But that's, that's verses 5 through 8. That's how you walk in the truth. By partnering with fellow brothers and sisters who are gospelizing. Secondly, oh, I'm sorry, one more thing. I know, and then I'm glad Brandon's not doing this to toot his own horn, but um, Brandon is faithful in gospelizing. He reads the Bible with non-Christians at his work here at American Apparel. Shares the gospel with people regularly. It's, he's, not, he's not just working. He is sharing the gospel regularly. And you would have a share in that. Okay, number two, and lastly. So you walk in the truth by partnering with gospelizers. Number two, you walk in the truth by avoiding what? Self, self-exaltation. This is crazy in verses 9 through 12, but let's, let's jump into it. Verse 9 says this. I wrote something to the church... So I wrote something for the church, but but who got in the way? But Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive us. So, what's Diotrephes' problem? He loves what? To what? He loves himself. He loves to be what place? First, right? He wants to compare his strengths to people's weaknesses and show why he's the best leader. 
He's the best teacher. He's the best pastor. He's the best church leader. He loves to be first. And so when other people come and write letters, he doesn't want, he doesn't receive them. He doesn't acknowledge them in verse 9. That's self-exaltation. That's not walking in the truth of loving the brothers. That's not having a big gospel heart of encouraging gospel co-workers everywhere. Look at verse 10. This is why, John says, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing. What else is he doing? He is slandering us with malicious words. He's slandering. He's talking down about others, about other leaders. He, he's talking down about John and other apostles even, if you can imagine that. Slandering them with malicious words. He might even say, it's true. It doesn't matter if it's true. You, it, you know, It's not just truth that matters. Speak the truth in what? Love. love. There's no love if it's not edifying and encouraging and building people up. If it's not necessary to say it, then don't say it. Right? But here, this man loves to be first. He loves to puff up his, his image. And so he slanders others to exalt himself. If it's not true, if it's not necessary, if it's not kind or edifying, don't say it. But he does. And so John calls him out. And then let's move on to verse 10. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, he's not welcoming them, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Excommunication. PJ, didn't you say excommunication is a health, part of a healthy church? Yes, when you do it right. But if you're saying, hey, I, want, I move to excommunicate this church member because he's encouraging that other gospel preacher. And he's not exalting me, he's, he's encouraging others. Whoa. I mean, this guy is off the deep end with his, he's just, you know, he's falling off the train tracks in terms of his, his gospel ministry. Not only does he not support them, not only does he not welcome fellow gospel workers, not only does he not send them on their way in a manner worthy of the Lord and become co-workers with them, this man stops, doesn't want to welcome them, and any member of his church who tries to welcome them, he, he reprimands them. He rebukes them. And he'll even go to the point of expelling them from the church. I doubt he's doing that with formal excommunication. You know, in, in lots of churches, I've heard of pastors who might just say, don't come back. You know, it's like a personal excommunication. Don't come back to this church. That's what he does. Because you're supporting others. And so, obviously, so here's, the, here's the flip side of walking in the truth. Not only do you partner with gospelizers, you avoid self-exaltation. And you, vo- you avoid partnering with self-exalting, quote-unquote, gospelizers. And you call it out. Look at verse 11. This is the contrast. Here's the good side. Diotrephes is the, the bad side. Here's the good side. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. In other words, he's saying Diotrephes hasn't even seen God. He's not a real Christian. Verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone. And from what? The truth itself. And we also testify for him. And you know that our testimony is true. So he's saying... Gaius, don't be like Diotrephes. He's evil, and he comes from evil. Don't imitate what's evil, but imitate what is good. And guess who's good? Demetrius is good. Imitate Demetrius, not Diotrephes. Don't be self-exalting. Live for the truth. Gaius, avoid self-exaltation. Okay, so that's, that's really it. That's the main point. I'm done here with my main points. That's it. So walk in the truth. How? 
by partnering with gospelizers and by avoiding self-exaltation. Let me read to you a few things here. I want you to follow in your Bible. Okay, In verse 1, I love you in the what? In the truth. In verse 3, I te- they testify to your faithfulness to the what? The truth. How you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children are walking in the truth. In verse 8, you can become co-workers with the truth. When you get to verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth. And then he says, our testimony is true. It's all about the truth. Walking in the truth. But, there's one more verse I want you to look at. Verse 7. Since they set out for the sake of the truth. He doesn't say set out for the sake of the truth. Set out for the sake of the what? The name. Because the truth is not just the word of God, the Bible. It is that. But the truth is climactically a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Walking in the truth is not about walking in the Bible. Ultimately, it's about walking in who? Christ Christ Jesus himself. It's about living for Jesus Christ. And so you have, you know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But even more than that, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth, and this truth is tied to a way of life, how you walk. Now, he's the way to the Father, but as you go on your way to the Father, you will be shaped by Jesus, who is the truth. And so, how how does Jesus become the truth, or how does he personify the truth, most ultimately? By dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. So we're not just looking for partners in the gospel. We're not just looking for partners in the truth. We're looking for partners in Christ Jesus himself. Okay, not, Nothing against the gospel or the Bible. We need those, absolutely. But ultimately, it's a person, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meditation on 3 John. We thank you for partners in the truth. Lord, we, we realize that if it wasn't for gospelizers who were supported we wouldn't be, some of us wouldn't be even Christians. And if we would become Christians, we wouldn't have grown as much as we have without people who have invested in people that, we, that have met us and helped us and gospelized us. And so, Father, we pray that as a church family, we would just take our part among the many churches that are taking their part in supporting those who set out for the sake of the name. And as our brother Brandon sets out for the sake of the name to Virginia, and we set out for the sake of the name just around this region, we pray that we would become co-workers with one another and with others for the truth, Jesus Christ himself. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to love and bless him. Um, We pray, God, that as we go from here, that he would feel our love and that we'd find ways of supporting him. Help us to fight self-exaltation in our own lives. Forgive us for being selfish, being self-centered, being self-exalting, for slandering others. Forgive us for using our words not to edify and to speak truth and to speak only necessary words. Help us, Lord, to control our tongues and more importantly, our hearts. That we would have big gospel hearts for the truth and for Christ who is the truth. 
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.